0: This week's episode is brought to you by Tri-County Roofing. Your roof is all that stands between your family and the ever-changing Charleston weather. As Charleston's established roofer of choice, trust Tri-County Roofing to protect your most valuable assets with quality roofing services. Tri-County Roofing is also the sponsor of this year's 2017 Big Game Challenge, powered by The Post and Courier. Visit postandcourier.com biggame2017 to play, and you'll be entered to win a number of prizes, including cash, a new TV, or grill. Again, that's postandcourier.com biggame2017. The deadline to play is 625 p.m. on Super Bowl Sunday. That's February 5th before Atlanta and New England kickoff.
1: a podcast about dining in the south and beyond i'm robert moss the author of barbecue the history of an american institution
2: and i'm hannah raskin food editor at the post and career
1: this week we're doing the futurama edition of of the Winnow, since we're going to look be looking ahead to the future uh, both the very near future and then perhaps uh, out into the distant future as well and uh, we'll talk about the rise of the machines uh and and how they're going to rule us all and perhaps also a return to the good old days of doing it yourself but first, we want to just look a few months out and talk about some of the food festivals and other events that are coming up, which is why we have uh, Randy Weinstein here joining us. Randy, thanks for joining us here.
3: A pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: And uh, Randy, this uh, is heading up a new event called Fab Workshop, which is coming up in June. And I understand tickets are now just on sale. And since it's new, I guess I guess start with that. What is Fab Workshop and, and what do we need to know about it?
3: Well, it is, FAB is an acronym, as we all know, and has lots of different meanings. So it can mean food and beverage, and that's a target audience. Um, In this case, I'm using it as females in business, and it would be females in business in the hospitality industry. Through a past event that I had coordinated with two other girls called Bad Bitches, was um, we wound up giving scholarship money to women in the food and beverage industry. And the band broke up, so to speak. But if that path had continued, this is my vision for that path. And I felt that if we were giving money to women to enable them to push them forward, we needed to educate them about the business of being in that industry.
2: Now, Randy, I know you've got, and I full disclosure, I I helped with some of the, uh, I don't know, what would you call? Planning committee. Planning committee, yeah. I I sat at a table once or twice. Um, (laughs) so I know you put together a lot of interesting uh, programs, I think, two different tracks. Can you explain just what those tracks are and what some of the things are people might learn?
3: So from this planning committee, um, before that, I kind of did this brain dump, and I really made this into a curriculum because I wanted um, education to really be the key component, and for this to be taken seriously as a as a career. And there are so many other industries that have continuing education. And really what this industry has is lots of festivals Mm -hmm. and lots of people having fun. So um, hence, another reason why it was developed. But within this planning committee, one of the questions that was um, brought up was, who is your target audience? And the target audience, of course, I said everyone, but that is not the case. And there are different stages that people are in their careers. So I decided to do two different tracks. One, um, for lack of a better term, one is the 101 track and one is the 202. So the 101 track is really for women that are working in the industry that might want to one day open up their own business. Um, They're for women working in industry that don't have an interest at all, but it's going to make them more valuable player wherever they are or decide that they um, can go Um, It's for PR companies to be able to have something else in their kind of a la carte menu to offer to to clients and to really better understand their clients even Um, for front of the house women to even become operations. So that really is the target of and therefore people that are just even thinking about for all of those. You know, women at home that are either baking or developing or have a sauce or anything like that. And they're wondering kind of what the world of the business um, can hold for them. So there's that sector. And then it also is for people that are in the hotel business as well. Second one is for women that made that journey and that kind of crossed those lines and now are business owners themselves. And those topics are really going to be um, smaller, probably in numbers of individuals sitting in there. And the content is going to be directed at business currently and then looking towards the future.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. It is something that Hannah and I have talked about in the past on the window, which is sort of career tracks within food and beverage, and it is a an interesting one. It's not quite like other lines of work where there's really clear. You work here for this role a couple of years, and you move up here, and you move up here, and you know there's a there's a hierarchy or rank that you, you go through. Do you find, I mean, for most, I guess industry professionals in general, but specifically women, is there you know, is there any, anything that approaches a standard career track or is it something that you, everyone has to figure out for themselves or how, does, how do you sort of think about it when you, you look at it? I think everyone has
3: to figure it mm-hmm. out for themselves. I think that at first you have to decide what the nature of, of your industry and your business and what you're doing is and then be able to figure out um, what you can actually do from there. Um, if you're a chef, is it meaning cookbooks, is it meaning packaging your, you know, any type of, of sauces or spices or, you know, anything like that? Is it a matter of being able to branch out to something a little bit more kind of fast pickup casual if that's like your niche? But so I think that everyone is so different. And um, so there's not one, especially when it comes to pastry, sweet or savory. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and we've talked about, too, not only is the career trajectory different once you enter the field, but the entering the field is different, too. And I think it's especially true um, with women because maybe there is that gendered expectation. People often encourage women to, like, sell your cookies or sell you. It's the kind of profession that society, you know, coaxes you into doing. And I think you've talked about, though, it, it, you, you can't just have a good recipe to, to right. make it. Right. Can you talk about what some of these sessions will cover specifically so to make sure it's taking it beyond the recipe? Absolutely. <laughs> as
3: I grab her some oh, sorry, yeah. Randy's <laughs> grabbing her laptop here. I think as I'm <laughs> grabbing the laptop. Yeah. So, um, as I said, the paths are a little bit different. And um, on our 101, I really want to put it in pretty much a clear form of almost how you would um, – bridge going or how you would go about starting a business. So the first thing you need to do is understand the setting up and the finances of the business. So for that, and each of these topics are going to have a moderator plus anywhere from three to four um, different panelists on it.
2: And if I can interrupt just there, I think you decided at some point that these would all be women.
3: They're all women. They're all women. All women. Actually, it's by women, for women. And when I say that, it is um, really being put together by women. It is all women speakers, all women attendees, all of the food that is going to be had, certainly during the snack breaks and the lunch and the beverages, um, are all by women. Um, I think the only thing that gets different is when we enter into the evening and uh, people get to go out to other restaurants. Um, but um, but yeah, so it is, and that's the exciting part. And I think that's what ours getting people excited about it, uh, plus the um, people that are coming in, the thirty different speakers. Um, pretty incredible, talented group. But So what we're going to do is um, the 101 session will really start with the navigating the setup of the business. And when you talk about, very simple, a business plan um, where most people have no idea how to put that together and really talking about the things that you need to do to establish yourself. Not really going to get into licensing and all of those different things, but you know, I want people to take away, and this becomes a checklist of things that they really need to keep in mind when, when it's their time and when they decide it's their time. They can go back and say, wow, I never really thought about this, or these are the things I need to get. And, you know, getting your taxes in order, something very simple that you think that people do all the time, but yet— if you don't have that done, it makes it very difficult to be able to look for financing. And whether it's going to be, and we're going to be cover financing, we're going to be covering investor, angel investors, banking. So that's like that first topic. And all of these are about an hour and 45 minutes um, in length. Um, A, they're definitely meaty and they're long, but um, and they needed to be that long to be able to get the voices heard. And I wanted people that are obviously um, familiar with those topics to be able to tackle it, but also with different opinions. Um, So I want there to be a little bit of conflict, but um, resolution definitely coming out from it. So that would really be the first part. The second one, it goes really right into onboarding and managing staff and discussing the HR um, aspect of it, employment laws and all of that. Um, wage, talking about grooming, talking about alcoholism, you know, or, or drinking or drugs in the industry. How do you handle those things? This is an interesting topic because you have so many um, people that are opening restaurants that are hiring their peers. And how do you go out and party with someone one night and then you're making it to work the next day and it's your business, so you are not going to miss a day. But your friend who is working with you
1: is <laughs> <It's> calling in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually a, a really interesting dynamic that that plays out in in this industry. I've seen lots of times, which is when people start. It's it's a different dynamic when you're hiring somebody who used to be, you know, the 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 comrade out at three a.m. at the at the Griffin or wherever wherever it is, and. Um, Definitely, I, I think that's got to be a difficult thing for people to navigate as they're trying to you know, set up on their own.
3: Exactly. So, and you want someone. I mean, obviously, you've went into you've gone into business, and you're putting. And it's not just your money because unless you were born extremely wealthy and you have that disposable income to be able to put into this, you know, it is. You have investors, and you have to understand honestly how does it all work? How do you pay people back? How do you you know, understand the food costs, the labor cost, um, you know, all of that that goes into it. When you're an employee, you're not faced with knowing or having to understand that aspect of the business. You know, people are able to go in and kind of almost have blinders on if you're working certainly front of house, back of house, or, you know, behind a bar. So it is definitely all of a sudden turns into a different dynamic. And, I'll use Jeremiah Langholt as a, a interesting example where he, I ran into him and he was in town doing the McCready's 10 year dinner. And I, I think asked
1: for folks who I may, mean, I know this is Jeremiah Langholt who was at McCready's, McCready's for a long while. I guess a sous chef, or was he chef de cuisine, I think? Chef de cuisine. I think he worked himself up to that and then moved to D.C., right? And yeah.
3: opened the Dabney. And opened
1: the Dabney. It's done quite well for him. So.
3: Exactly, exactly. He and Alex Inc. and So, and to much acclaim as well, but it was an arduous, long process to get that restaurant opening, Um, looking for the space, making sure it was right, having some things, some things fell through. But finally, you know, here you get this restaurant to open, and I said, so how are things going? And he said, you know, they're really great, but I wish I was cooking more. Mm -hmm. I never really realized how much paperwork there was in this business <laughs> because he never had to do it so it is really it's and again it's it's meant to open people's eyes and to have this create this awakening so it's not meant for people to leave there and be like oh, I'm I'm ready to buy that piece of real estate right now
1: you know, one of the things we've we've seen a lot is people doing what I call side gigs or side projects where they have a great hot sauce recipe or a great something and, and just want to start that up while keeping whatever full-time employment they have. And others obviously go all in to open like something big like a restaurant. Is this really for both those types of entrepreneurs or is it focused more on one or the other? Totally both. both. Okay.
2: So. so, in the example you just gave about Jeremiah, obviously that's applicable to men and women. And I think so many of the topics you mentioned are completely gender neutral. I mean, taxes, for instance. <laughs> I guess you do have to everyone mark your gender somewhere. Everyone so has to pay them. Everyone has to pay them either way. So, so I'm sure the question is coming up. I mean, why, 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 you know, why limit this to women?
3: I think for the first go around, I really enjoyed being able to it was so gratifying putting together and being able to the events that we did and being able to give the scholarship money and watch these women um, be able to move forward in their careers. And I've seen at least four of them um, be able to move Forward and up, which has been really exciting. And I feel that women really could utilize some of the resources, and men sometimes aren't that quick to maybe accept that they might need to know something, or it's such a kind of a boys' network that they are able to feel like they could just get the information if they're just asking, you know, like, hey, bro, like, what's the deal? Can you help me out? Like, and there's that kind of unspoken language that it makes it easy and easier than for women. And so I want to create those bonds and the mentorship and everything else that I'm hoping that can really come through this, um, this workshop.
2: Were there times, obviously, you have firsthand experience being in the industry yourself? Were there times that you felt that to be a member of the Old Boys Network or so it, you felt that you felt it would have been easier to be a man at any point doing what you were doing?
3: There's, a, I just, there was a moment that just flashed by when I was, um, when I was working, and um, that someone had made a comment that, because of my kind of personality and being as forthcoming as I am, and sometimes um, I've got the reputation of being kind of a little bit of a pain, and um, but in a good way, but that. It once was rubbing someone wrong and someone had made the comment that if she was male, you wouldn't even think twice about it. And it's the truth. And so um, I have, I've been pretty fortunate, but I've also been working in environments where I've seen an all male kitchen work and it works, but I've also seen an all female kitchen work and the difference in efficiency is is it's fascinating um, the difference in the camaraderie in in the kitchen. It's it's really an interest. It's something interesting to watch. And then when you actually have an ideal balance in that kitchen, it's it's a really a beautiful thing. So, well,
1: just uh, I know it's coming up in, in June. It, 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 so where's the what's the venue for it? Will it be in downtown Charleston.
3: Downtown Charleston, College of Charleston, the Baby Center. Okay. And, um, and I want to put it also, I'm excited that they're partnering. And I've been fortunate enough to speak to Jeremy Clemens class um, at the College of Charleston for probably the past four or five years. And so I think it's something great for them to be able to host, they have a perfect setting. Downstairs, they have a large auditorium. And then upstairs, they have a perfect um, classroom. And the utilization plus it's summer school. So it's a little less crowded.
2: I'm just going to say, but you're also getting out of the classroom as well, right? Are, are you still planning on these dinners that were. Do you want to talk about that, look, Because I thought Absolutely. that was a really creative idea.
3: So I wanted a, you know, the attendance um, totally, I'm looking at hopefully about 300 people to attend. And I wanted to keep it small enough to be able to create those conversations. But then I wanted those conversations to continue over dinner because all those best conversations always happen over food and beverage. So I have asked about 17 restaurants um, to be able to participate and host a speaker or speakers on the Monday and Tuesday night of the um, the workshop. And the price points for the dinners really vary, anywhere from $35 a head to $150 a head. Um, I don't look at it as we have any bad speakers that are coming in and that I think someone will find something interesting in all of them. The dinners are small, um, anywhere from really eight to tops is 20 people but uh, mostly they're about 8 to 10 people. So you have that opportunity.
1: That's That's a good size for having conversations at the table. Don't feel like you're in a...
2: Right, exactly. know, the, the banquet even though,
1: hall where you can only talk to the people right next to you. Exactly. Right, because
2: even though we're saying speakers, they're speakers at the conference. But in this case, they're going to be seated and just part of the, the table, right?
3: Exactly. Yeah, yeah it's just going to be yeah. having a nice regular dinner without yeah. a formal presentation. Um, at the end of the workshop on Monday, we will close out with some type of yoga, meditation, or something just to um, just to relax people. There's so m- Monday is a really action-packed um day for a lot of intake. And you're talking about an industry that isn't used to really sitting for this amount of <laughs> not time. One that, yeah, not,
1: not a contemplative industry, really. It's not
3: Bloody Mary's <laughs> being sold. <laughs> <laughs> it's not BevCon. That's right. <laughs> yeah, not.
0: Uh, for
1: this For this particular event, obviously there's plenty of, lots of people in Charleston in, in the food and beverage industry. Are you focusing more on Charleston or people from outside? Do you anticipate a lot of people coming in from elsewhere?
3: I see um, really more of a national presence. Mm-hmm. I certainly see Charleston's strong presence, but I also see Drive Market, but I've sold tickets to already for pre-sale in, over the holidays from California, right. New York,
1: Boston. So truly a national, Truly. Yeah. And that's what, one of the great things about events in, in Charleston in, and doing it down at College of Charleston, it's right in the middle of the peninsula. Everything is so walkable from your hotels, and you can just go out. And, 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 and As opposed to you know the conference centers that tend to be on the outside of town somewhere. You go to a lot of those places, and you can't walk anywhere. You have to get in the car. But that's a great thing about the company's events. You park the car, you get out, and then you just exactly. meet people, and you get to to you just really experience a great dining town. In addition to all the other things that are going on at the, the and everything,
3: itself. yeah, and everything is is going to be hosted on the peninsula. So truly, they're staying at the Marriott on Lock, on um, Calhoun and meeting, mm-hmm. and walk right over, you know, to the College of Charleston, and then being able to walk um, to all of the restaurants that are going to be taking place. The only time that there is anything off. The Peninsula is the welcome dinner that I'm going to host um, at my home that Sunday night for all of the speakers. So for all of them to just get to know one another, they're all super excited about meeting one another. Casual environment.
2: So, Randy, if someone wants to register, what do they do?
3: They can go to our website at thisisfab.com
1: thisisfab.com
3: it is, that's a, good, it is.
1: That's, that's, like, great. that's a good
3: URL it is amazing it wasn't taken <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, and truly if anyone has any questions they can always um, email as well at info at
1: well, thanks, Randy. So thanks for coming in. And thank thank you. you. I wish I could attend this event, but I, w- I won't be able to see you there. But uh, Call you Roberta. But, and yeah. skirt on you. I'll, I'll watch social media with Envy because uh, these do sound yeah. like some, some uh, really, really interesting and engaging That's classes. Gonna
3: we are going to videotape it. so Okay, um, oh, so maybe I'll, right. get, I'll get to benefit from some Maybe.
1: <laughs>
2: thank you both. Thank
1: you. Well, Randy had to, had to take off and run. She still has got some organizing to, to, to run to. So we skipped our snack in order to get to her. But Hannah, now, and, and you passed around a brown a, a big brown box and some chopsticks. And so I'm guessing Zhao Bao biscuit is, and what is that right? And what, that's what, what do right. we have here?
2: So that's the Bobo G, um, which is a traditional Sichuanese dish. It's. Um, Typically, and the box is with you now, so you can probably do more of a visual description than I can. But it's a it's um, traditional Sichuan chicken dish, um, cold chicken in a, essentially it's a peanut sauce.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? definitely slices of, of I guess chicken breast. It's it is cold. The sauce is quite spicy. There's a lot of red flakes down in there.
2: Yeah, and what's cool about I just tasted it before I before I shared it with you. It's just, Probably really rude of me, but um, it, I'll take it back. Um, it, what's cool is it does have that that mala, the, the burning um that's associated with Sichuan food. So it's sort of um you get that brain sensation. I feel like it kind of cleans your mouth at the same time it gives you this really bad breath because yeah. you're having all this, like, peanut butter stuff and something that's very much like menthol at the yeah, same time. Yeah,
1: it's got, looks like, some black sesame and then a cilantro in there, so you got a little different pops of flavor that come through yeah, on top of the cool. heat. Yeah,
2: it's very um, It's served over rice, um, and this is one of those kind of good all-year-round dishes, um, but would certainly be, you know, a good good sell in the summer.
1: Zalbao, it's definitely one of their favorites here in Charleston they've, they've really uh, made quite a splash in the past couple of years just because of those flavors that you just can't get absolutely and
2: I, you know I wanted to bring in about partially because um I'm going to share this um I wanted to bring this in partially because you had asked me on a recent episode if there is anything I left out of the itinerary ah, for yes. visitors and I I I I don't know how you could get a visitor to Zhao Bao. It's um, it's tricky because for me, um, again, the itinerary is designed to show off what's only in Charleston, so it didn't fit the theme prop- properly um, for this. But um, I-, I hate to leave them out when yeah, you're but, talking well, about. Yeah, but for
1: those of us who live here, it's those who live here, it's absolutely wonderful place, you know? great. Yep. Yep. Well, thanks for bringing that in. If sure. Everybody's sampling a little now. You're gonna pass that back around, I'm sure, <laughs> before we're done here segment two i will replace you with machines on a recent winnow uh we, we were talking about whether there was a restaurant bubble that was about to burst and a, a big factor in those discussions are the cost of labor which is you know putting a lot of pressure on restaurants well right after we recorded that a press release landed in my my email b- inbox that was timely i would have probably otherwise totally ignored it but it's for a company called juke slot j-u-k-e-s-l-o-t juke slot like a, like a Ju- uh, slot machine or a ju- jukebox, I guess. But what I thought was more interesting than the product itself was the way it was being pitched. This was being pitched as a solution to the rising cost of employee labor in restaurants. And what's that? That solution? Uh, apparently it's replaced them with machines the Duke slot is this sort of kiosk tabletop thing and it's sort of like a portable point of sale system which you know the customers would use from start to finish you know, to order their food you know swipe their card, everything everything else uh, and you know get their printed receipt or get an email to them all, the, all those types of things so basically everything that your your server uh, would do for you except perhaps saying hello my name is Duke slot and I'll be your, your so server So
2: is this any different than what's already been installed in the airport I, I don't the think Air- it okay. is
1: I don't think it's it is. I think it's 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 yet another kiosk solution. There are lots of them out there. McDonald's is about to roll out a whole bunch of them. Everyone's looking at doing that um in fact if you go to the, like LaGuardia Airport in New York uh, which I fly through quite a lot um has basically all the restaurants at least in terminal C and and, and maybe terminal D now have been replaced they aren't they' they're still servers but they' are they don't come up and take your order instead you sit this little iPad base it's a, it is it's an iPad, an iPad. <laughs> it's sort of locked there on the on the table and you can play games on it but you can also order everything through it and, right. and everything else
2: and the advantage is even though you have a phone that can do the very same thing it, t- it tracks your phone Flight, it tells yep. you when it's time to board, um, <laughs> and it does have sort of that element of hospitality built in, where it says like, "Can I bring you some hand sanitizer with your meal?" You know, it has these little extras, um, and
1: they're good at upselling as well. Absolutely. So, like you, you, just you, like a real silver. yeah, yeah. You put you push on this thing, that, hey, can I interest you in a cocktail to go with that, you know, or, or, or whatever else. Uh, apparently, it doesn't keep track of who you are, uh, as far as I can tell yet. Though that would be a you know, you know, a clever thing. You you can see the, the data the data happening. So that, all that just got me thinking about. This idea of replacing what people used to do with with machines or with with computers a you know big topic in the economy at large today and it always seems to me like it's sort of fraught with peril where it comes to uh, to restaurants particularly like if you think drive through windows at fast food restaurants have been around for since I was as long as I can remember so I'm not even sure when they yeah, you know, certainly before I born, I was born. People were yelling into little staticky microphones, trying staticky speakers, trying to order things. And I always wondered why they didn't just put a little keypad out there. You've already got the menu board; couldn't you just punch on it? But somehow that's never quite taken off on the drive-through windows. See, I,
2: I thought drive-through windows were automated. I thought that it's a fake voice and that oh th- no, it
1: sounds <laughs> fake. You, you, you clearly don't have children who no, yeah, so, have to drive-through drive
0: car. I have frequently,
2: so, um, so is this just some sort of Satire show that I saw. I thought that it, in fact, your order was like oh, routed no, through no, India.
0: No, and back. no, I know
1: somebody sitting right there with the headset on. Really? Uh, yep. And you I know, know,
2: well, I didn't know there's somebody in yep. the headset, but I thought for efficiency's sake, I thought they weren't saying. Oh no, I,
1: no, that's absolutely. I, I know of, and maybe there are some somewhere, but I don't know. Even if like you go to a Sonic, right. which has this big menu board. You, you just not drive through the window. You pull in front of the board and park. It's like, but they replaced the car hops who used to take your order with a big sign. And you press a little button, and then someone comes on. And you have to wait for them. And it's like, pulley, and then you, you you take your order, and you know it gets screwed up, and it, there's always just miscommunications. It seems like if you're sitting in front of the sign with that, then you should be able to order. I guess the problem is. People would screw up their order just as bad. How do I work these buttons, everything else? and Absolutely. Get an I will say
2: I, I did have an opportunity recently to go through a drive through As I said, I don't have a car. So in my rental car, I went, stopped at a Dunkin' Donuts for coffee, and I pulled up in the voice, the disembodied voice, which now you tell me was not coming from oh, no, a from from deli. So it was, uh, says, uh, huh, you know, welcome to Dunkin' Donuts. Please come inside. So it, it, the drive through was not working. <laughs> this is how I understood so that. Sometimes
1: they, they break down. Yep. And so that's where it, it, it strikes me that these things, uh, they make sense on a press release. They make, they sound good. Get rid of your labor costs by uh, by replacing everyone with machines. But it never seems to quite work out that way. I was um, reading a really interesting article not long ago about the supermarket scanners, the they, they, they self-checkout, and how they originally came about. and. You know, the idea originally was to get rid of all the checkout clerks so that you, you know, and um, the guy, some people were doing it simultaneously, but but the the guy who invented it would go around and would try to do these demonstrations. And this is a lot of comical things about, you know, all the disasters they had the first couple of times. But they had to work it out, and they had to work out the whole how do you prevent theft problem, which uh, they've been working on. They ended up doing it by putting, you know, you have to swipe it, put it on on the thing to weigh it, et cetera. But what's not happened, and at the time, especially the Northeast where a lot of the uh, supermarket clerks were unionized, there was a lot of protest and outrage that you're going to try to replace us with machines. And somehow that just hasn't really ever happened. I've never seen a store with more than four that I can think of, even the larger grocery stores. It's still all clerks at the traditional registers except for that little area where people tend to only have – 10 or fewer items. It's basically become a little express lane. Though every now and again, you'll get somebody there with their entire cart trying to, to check out. But it doesn't work if you try to do all that Right.
2: I think that's one of the things we forget as we forecast the future is that sometimes different technologies coexist. You know, it doesn't all turn over. So there are, you know, there are people who like to go through the checkout and there are people who, I mean, who will go. I mean, my father is an example who doesn't need to buy something, but will buy something just to go through the use scam line <laughs> because it's a heck of a lot of fun. So... <laughs>
1: Uh, well, I <laughs> they need to get out a little bit more often, but uh, you, the, the, but the thing, and even there, you still if you have f- four little checkout pods, one's almost always out of order, and then there's still a person there who's overseeing it because they have to clear everything out and come help you. So really, all you've really done is is streamline it down. So you got one person operating three registers, and you know it it, it certainly doesn't seem to have taken a lot of the the labor out of the the, the supermarket. But we'll say about the kiosk things, you know, one of the ones I, didn't, I hadn't thought of, uh, but my wife immediately brought up as soon as we brought up all those the, the touch screen things, like uh, we were talking about, she's like, ooh. People's hands all over the screens, which is another thing I never even thought of, but her first thing oh, was germs everywhere. I don't want to touch a screen. So you mean
2: that's why they're offering me hand sanitizer at the I, I, LaGuardia Airport? I,
1: I guess so, yes. That's, okay. Because yeah. you're scared that you're you – know, who was there before you touching the Fascinating. screen? Fascinating. You know, even okay. though someone gotcha. was there before you touching the chair <laughs> right. and the table <laughs> and, and, and your food. And yeah. your food back in the back. <laughs> yep. but, um, but, but but I think that there, there's another aspect of that. And then you still have that. I've, this has been going on for a while in restaurants – um, you'll you'd sit down and it'll bring you over uh, a cocktail menu or a wine list on an iPad. That's been right. sort of a thing the past couple of years, but it's never seemed to take off. Part of it, I find it harder to use than a reg. I'd just rather have the the cocktail list. Yeah, um, it's, it's really
2: interesting. We um And we were just talking recently about how business cards are still printed. Mm-hmm. People, even in this day and age, prefer a, a printed card. And I think you're right, the menu falls into that, into that category as well. Those, as you say, have been available for ages. I mean, it's an incredibly easy thing to do, and it's wonderful for the restaurant in terms of updating a menu. I yep. mean, so much easier to keep it electronic. Um, but it has not caught on in any mm-hmm. significant way, not with restaurants or with
1: diners. It's just not a pleasant way to order. You have this mean, – this thing and then you know, swipe it. It's just not, it, it hasn't turned out to be, I think, aesthetically That's <laughs> right. I, I, it, I, it may fit into certain places, but it does not going to fit into your typical fine dining restaurant. Exactly.
2: Because I think we do still, even now, associate the touch screens and machines and all of that with, it has, you know, it has an air of processed and futuristic, mm-hmm. which is not what most restaurants <laughs> these days are aiming for. So, you know, one of the touch screen machines I think that has been really popular are those gargantuan Coke machines, right? We have like 40, nine oh, yeah, flavors yeah. that you know you press this and you press that and and that seems like a really fun thing to do with it, it
1: it it is a huge again with having kids it is a huge hit with those between about seven and i'd say about 12 years old it this it's like disneyland you can just go press and buttons and stuff squirts out and everything else right and, right, right um i don't know that you're if you just want a Coke, I don't think it's an improved experience in any way. But if you want to be able to have a thirty-two way suicide, you know, mix, then then you're in, you're in business. You
2: know, I think I was going to say that doesn't really you know translate then to adult beverages, but that's absolutely wrong because uh, yeah. they have those wine bars <laughs> where they give you a little card and you press a button and you get two ounces of Cabernet or you know four ounces of Sauvignon Blanc.
1: Yeah, and there's there's also the, the beer the, the beer dispensing systems like exactly. that, same where you get a card and but i in the practice what you find is it you know it, it there's always somebody having to come over and help and always. point and it, it just always doesn't ever seem to to come off. And I've never left that experience thinking, wow, that was much better <laughs> than, than than what I had before. <laughs> and one thing that did work, the pay at the pump gas pump and self service gas, that's worked yeah, out. That seems very you know, successful. I, I certainly don't miss uh you know having to if you if you remember the old days, some guy would pump the gas and would bring the, you know, you might have a charge card, but you bring the little thing to your window and <laughs> rub the thing across the carbon paper. Uh, I think we've stepped up a good bit from there. And it's always weird. There's a couple states, I think New Jersey. I can't remember where else. It's, Oregon for a uh, while. Yeah, full service only still. And I just, every time I pull in, I'm just like, this isn't really an improvement. Was, there was when they first came out. I remember thinking I was I was I was old enough to be driving and and, and 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 pumping my own gas and thinking, oh, there goes the decline of service. But in in reality, I don't think I've really missed it. I certainly have not the pay at the pump. I have I don't miss going into the convenience store to pay for gas and waiting in line and everything else that all the but
2: that's where the coke machine is that's
1: where the coke machine is <laughs> i know but we, and I, and when i'm traveling yeah. we, we do go inside to right. to get all our snacks and everything but if i'm just you know running on the way home or out of gas it's great just to pull a pump so that one's worked but again that's not food related maybe you know you're pumping gas is a little bit different A little different space. about three buttons you have to choose (laughs) from on the menu of options at the gas pump. Um, I thought you were going here when you mentioned cocktails and things, but this just came out uh, not too long ago, a press release from um, Anheuser-Busch InBev, the, the global alcoholic beverage giant, and Keurig Green Mountain, Inc., the maker of the Keurig coffee machine. That they and they announced that they're teaming up to some some kind of joint venture to do an in home alcoholic drink system. And that's about all the details they, they, they had.
2: Right. I mean, so everyone immediately starts envisioning little K cups of Manhattans, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the idea. Is that, you know, so rather than, I guess, you know, you, you, even if you don't have one of these coffee makers at home, you've probably encountered one in a hotel room where it's, you know, you throw and put in a little cup, you put in a little water. We're in and lots presto. of offices these days, offices. office buildings everywhere. Yeah, mm. they've actually been a brilliant solution. As someone who drinks a lot of decaf coffee, mm-hmm. um, you can never get a fresh cup of decaf coffee. And I'm actually really pleased. Please now when a when a place has that for decal yeah
1: it is great for for an office setting where yeah you used to have that exactly. p- glass pot with the orange lid and it's about <laughs> it looks like the, you know it's the thickness of crude oil at the bottom because it's been in there all morning long yeah. you know yeah definitely they and and you know most offices now that have one end up with like a rack of like eighty two flavors so you know there's variety and all that kind of stuff no, Co- I don't know. it I d- doesn't beat good you know Brewed coffee, but it beats the heck out of the food service coffee you used to get. And
2: so that's the question. I mean, it's between that and nothing, really. You know, I mean, so it's it's not saying. And so it's a great example. I mean, that's never going to replace good coffee. And I don't think any cocktail that they come up with in a cup is going to replace a talented bartender. It's a totally different situation. That being said, if I was in a hotel room in North Dakota and I really did want an excellent bakery right, sure, I'd rather just pop in my, you know. So I don't know how that works. If then you carry your own alcohol and they keep fruit juice in the cup. Or well, what's keep, what's
1: <laughs> weird is it? they didn't even really, they, quoting from the press release, all they really said is it will target the realm of the full adult beverage category, including beer, spirits, cocktails, and mixers, which is a pretty wide category of things. So. Beer seems like – is that just like a mini keg or something? How can you simplify
2: beer beyond – I mean, mean, anyone can open a can. You've
1: got (laughs) cans and bottles, and then you've got the kegs or sort of the half kegs. They had the party balls and like those little metal kegs that just never really took off because they're just not that that useful. So I'm not sure where it's going to fit – from a beer perspective, cocktails is so weird. It, it did say as well it's going to draw on the technology they developed for co- the cold product. That's cold with a K for Keurig, which turned out to be a failure. And they, I think, have since just uh, took it off taken it off the market. The idea there was sort of like like a soda stream or some other thing, like countertop sodas or mixers on, on demand. But the weird thing about that is that it's the opposite of the Keurig. The Keurig, uh, from the hot, the coffee side of things, a Keurig pod coffee costs more mm. than if you brewed your own right. You know, if, on right, a, on a per cup basis. I think the cold was more maybe aiming at being cheaper, at least you know, I, don't, I don't really know. But you, I don't know that you're getting any convenience over twisting off a top of a... Two liter bottle and pouring a, a thing of soda. So it's a completely different thing. That's where I kept coming back to, as I always do with products, is okay, there's a, usually a product that succeeds is scratching an itch. There's a problem in the market and they solve it. I'm trying to figure out what the cocktail alcohol problem at home is that this device is going to solve for me.
2: I, I don't have a problem, but I, I maintain there could be a problem on the road with cocktails. Yeah, I could uh, see that. A, so the question, I mean, this is essentially, their emergency rations, basically, <laughs> or rations. And so the idea is, you know, will I ever be stuck without a just going to replace the
1: hotel mini bar, which has gone the way the Buffalo. Right, The right. Little, little mini fridge, those, you almost gone. never see those anymore, No, ever.
2: it's so disappointing. Sometimes you'll see something, you open it, and it's like totally empty. Yeah. They expect <laughs> like you to it, fill it. <laughs>
1: yeah, I was like, Oh, I got a little friend. No, a little grocery shop. Yeah. So I gotta go out and find a yeah. place. Yeah. yeah. So that's um, a, we'll see about that. Uh, it's just I, I think in general these machines for f- when it comes to food, it's really hard to replace the human element of a lot of these things. And I think whether it's you know coffee or ordering with a server, it's just it's hard to pull off.
0: Have y'all heard of this thing? It's called a June oven june oven the june smart oven no. sounds like a setup for a joke it sounds <laughs> no 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 it's uh, <laughs> just so akin to the easy bake oven and the. Uh, okay um okay so no so so what it is is it's it's this uh tech startup it's basically a toaster oven it's it's a very very fancy toaster oven it costs fifteen hundred dollars but what it's loaded with is sensors and it's got cameras it's got thermometers And it's got what they claim is artificial intelligence. Basically, the idea is you're supposed to just like stick a piece of salmon in it. It recognizes that you put a piece of salmon in it and then it goes out to the Internet, figures out how to cook salmon and it just does it for you. Now the reviews haven't been that great. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but they raised a
1: huge amount of uh, initial round of IPO events from yeah, credulous right, investors. Yeah. Well, not yeah, IPO, and, but you know, private that, equity.
2: That scratches an itch, as you say. Currently yeah. my toaster does not recognize salmon or any other kind of fish. But yeah, so well, it's just well,
0: well, well, I, was, well, I was gonna say one of the one of the interest so probably one of the harshest reviews I, I read about it, the, the actual like the problem that the reviewer had was not well, well, she had a number of problems with the way that it cooked. She, it took long, and it, she thought the process was confusing. But she she felt like it divorced you from the process of actually learning how to cook, and. She thought that right. was, that was bad. So it sounds like this is
2: just a little bit removed from the Jewel uh, sous vide um, the machine that I tested and talked right. about in the window at one point, which was exactly as you say. I mean, the whole idea is you leave it and then you leave. You know, so this
1: was and it's actually been sort of the fantasy going back to like the 1939 World's Fair and all the predictions where machines when it's in star trek and you just order up whatever you want I, guess, I think there're women appears. who fantasized about yeah, that and even I can before see why.
2: 1939 yeah, because yep. if
1: if your drudgery of your day was <laughs> i had to spend an hour and a half you know every afternoon getting dinner ready it it would be a great fantasy to have it just pop out of a box and and be ready to go but i think we have this with the microwaves and everything else there's so many different options and i think it goes back to the you know reason there that cake mixes require eggs which is they could very well make a cake mix with uh, powdered eggs in it and, and make a pretty you know passable cake. But by breaking a couple eggs and mixing in, people feel like they're cooking more. Now, I've, I've cooked, so I think that, that's sort of the first thing that strikes me when I, when I hear about the, the, the oven that sort of just zaps it and does it all is, well, you know, people actually, there's lots of convenient ways to cook to save time, but they, people feel still feel like they've made it themselves and they're enjoying it. Otherwise, you could just go to your, you know, the kiosk at the fast food restaurant and punch it in and, and have it pop up, you know, automat style with untouched by human hands.
2: Absolutely. Um, and this actually leads to the next thing I did want to talk about was with this trip that I recently took to the old Spanish sugar mill. Ah, that yes. And, uh, you know, I've never heard it said out loud. the or De Lion Springs? Well, you know, when, when, it to, when it
1: comes to the <laughs> South, yeah. it, it's probably not going to be uh, the way uh, so a Spanish speaker would say is, but so it's probably going to be De Leon right. uh, or, or De Leon or who, who even <laughs> knows it, it, can, it can, it can evolve over time.
2: Uh, yeah. So uh, anyhow,
1: um, I'll the, say De Leon and go with that because it is Leon County, Florida, yeah, uh, that's which point. is where Tallahassee is. So yeah. it seems like, you know, that's in Florida. We'll call it De Leon.
2: Right. Well, Although it is on the um, the edge of the fountain of youth. So this is, I mean, they, they are explicitly acknowledging uh, Ponce de Leon. So if you haven't heard of this place, um, and I had not, I just came across it on a, on a road trip through Florida recently. Um, this is, it's sort of a holdover from, like, the great um, theme park era in Florida, which actually preceded Disney, of course. Yeah, they're
1: actually, they're, that's one of my favorite, I call it old Florida. Yeah. It all changed when Disney came to Orlando, but there is this sort of 20, 30-year period, really took off after World War II until, until Disney came, where... You have all these just My incredible, incredible theme they're parks. They're
2: crazy. I mean, so in Orlando, Gatorland burnt, burned a few years ago. Um, it was one of the, the last standings, and they are still there. It's just they had to rebuild. Gatorland. Um, Gatorland was a great one, and this was another one of them. I believe that I believe I read there were 70 such theme parks kind of clustered mm-hmm. in, around these lakes in Florida. Um, and so this one had, you know, there was an elephant on an island, and there were acrobats who danced through the trees. <laughs> and I mean, it's just a weird place and the Fountain of Youth youth as i said was at the center the more you look it.
1: at those yeah people in the 50s really had just a different definition of entertainment <laughs> sure. than people in, in, in 2016
0: I, sure or 2017. Like entertaining
2: to me i don't know so even now they've you know no more no more um water skiing shows or anything like that but what they have held on to at this park um and it's quite a large park so you can still boat and swim and hike and all of that um it, all of the, the outbuildings are, are mostly gone now um, what they have retained is the old Spanish sugar mill, which is, in fact, there are some remnants of a sugar making operation. Actually, dating back
1: to the Spanish era, Correct. so back yeah. the, before 1820, yeah. I guess. So
2: there, there isn't much of it, but there, you know, there's some kind of crumbling, um, yeah, bits of brick. Or, um, <laughs> but the point is, they've turned this into a restaurant. Did this years and years ago, and the shtick at this restaurant is you make your own pancakes. So every table is actually a griddle. <laughs> And this is so popular that they post the waiting time when you get to the entrance of the park. And when we pulled in, the wait time for a table was four
1: hours. Wow, right. that's, like, that's longer than Space Mountain. Yeah. That is. <laughs> right. You could go ride Space Mountain, come back, and still.
2: Yeah, so it's great that it's located a place with so many activities yep. because you can do all of them and your table still won't be ready. Um, but so it's, it was just fascinating for me, when when Robert, when you were bringing up these ideas of, of, of food that's made for you and you don't mm-hmm. have to be involved, that people absolutely love doing I love doing it. It's so cool. Um, you get just they bring you like a plain pan- pancake batter, which but they also have it's a like a more of a buckwheat based uh, batter. Um, it is delicious. You can make your pancakes any size you want, and then you get your choice of toppings, and they each have a small charge, so you can get chocolate chips or peanut butter or nuts um, and so you know everyone's working on their table they all turn into little like arts and crafts do projects they, do,
1: you, do, you, do, you, do they weigh it or is it all sort of one price because like, no, like the yogurt price. places did where did I
2: mention it's all you can eat
1: all you can eat it's all you just can pay eat it, it's, like a, it's a theme park pay at the gate <laughs> ride all you want that's
2: exactly and, right. how it is yeah and then they've got the um, they've got molasses you can put on it or they've got some uh, sorghum I mean and of course there's
1: regular syrup so is it just a like <laughs> griddle and, and you have a, a, a spatula and you have to flip it and correct and then you just put on your own plate the whole and thing
2: and it's i mean you hear the servers walk around and they're like well keep that little kid back you know <laughs> I mean, it's, like, it's very hot <laughs> so it is so cool i mean it's just it and so again i was thinking as you're talking about these ways in which we remove ourselves from the um creative process um it, it, and the, but there's some things people it's like you know I think too of like the frozen yogurt shop mm-hmm. like how people love that you yeah, know everyone pile, likes to choose sizes and toppings and flavors I mean that is there's a real allure to that but I, I don't know and I, I am a huge fan of tabletop cooking I think we've talked before about my my ardor for Japanese mm-hmm. steakhouses
1: <laughs> Um, I, I, I'm i the flaming or the, the steaming volcano yeah exactly the it is the is volcano. Flaming, actually. they like, actually fill it with fire yeah or something exactly and light on fire and yeah, yeah. Yes.
2: so I'm a big fan of that but I have never seen it put to bear use in the the old Spanish <laughs> sugar mill.
1: Well, I've I don't know if these have really done. I mean, K- Korean barbecue has taken off where you know, um, right. wh- where you'll actually you know they they have a heated metal sort of griddle griddle. It's not really a grill, more like a grill. But they'll bring meat and you yep. sort of just. You know, heat it up. I think a lot of people do that. One of the weirdest ones I went to—I want to say it was in Toronto. I was traveling somewhere, and there was a, what they call a Mongolian barbecue restaurant. And I'm sure they have these elsewhere. I just not been back to one since. So I was like, oh, barbecue, go in. But it was this weirdest thing where you basically get a bowl. And you go down this buff, or it's like a buffet line where they have Our, all the foods.
2: I think it's so funny you're talking about this like something exotic because this is a Midwestern is this, it's staple. It's oh, yeah, okay. so that's why you ran into in Toronto. Well, I and just after i you in the South, I, I don't think I've.
1: I'm sure I a just haven't gone question. back. Question.
2: That's a great I question. I wonder. First of all, you, do you remember? You don't remember what brand were you at? BDs or I, 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 I Grill, or okay? I they, remember. They, well, they had, well, let me explain
0: <laughs> it for southerners because this is like describing grits to yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, you, you you fill your bowl up with meat and sliced vegetables and all this and then you have all these sauces and everything and then you put it all in your bowl and then you take it to the counter where some guy takes it, dumps it on his grill, flops it over with, with spatulas and things, and then gives it back to you. And I was just wasn't expecting that. I was thinking I, I think I'd been I'd been to Korea. I was thinking more it would be like tabletop side. You'll do it.
2: I, I have to, I so appreciate this because I had no idea this was so regional. They had I'm think you're gonna tell me you or maybe I have just this.
1: happened to miss it, but I don't know where any are we anywhere it near. We had in my college dining hall. <laughs>
2: really, Emory, are you familiar with Mongolian barbecue?
0: just the dish at Chinese restaurants
1: Wow okay well. I've, I've actually been to a real Mongolian barbecue <laughs> restaurant it was in Hong Kong but it was it was uh, the same like what we call Korean barbecue it, it was the same uh, you know it was very fancy very formal but you did cook it sort of tableside over a little charcoal fired thing it was it was excellent that's what I was expecting and then it came back but my, my whole thinking was just what's the point of this <laughs> I don't know how to select. Cuts meats and sauces and toppings and all that. I mean, maybe if, or maybe if you live in the Midwest and you go every week, you you sort of figure it out. You know, you, you've now worked through the permutations and combinations. I want somebody to, you know, and the most fun part would be putting it on the grill, but someone else does that. So if I, you know, I'd much rather have someone give me the bowl I, and let me go do that because that looks like fun, you know.
2: I, I mean, this is, I, I think I've now found my next research topic. <laughs> I have no idea. People didn't know about this. It is, as you said earlier, I think you isolated the 8 to 12-year-old age group. They are huge fans <laughs> of Mongolian barbecue. I mean, it is. You know, if you go away to sleepaway camp, when you get home, that first meal is going to be Mongolian barbecue. You've got to get out the Midwest, Midwest more.
1: I've, I've done. I've done a little tour duty out there. To, clearly, not enough.
2: Uh, it's also romantic. You take dates to a Mongolian really? barbecue. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely, because it's, it's fun. You know, when Midwesterners like to I, have a.
1: I, I've <laughs> to learned something some new time. as well. So <laughs> okay. pretty, a cultural geography yeah. lesson yeah, uh, exactly. here on the window for you. Today. <laughs> So that was my big thing when I thought about the cooking in front of you. Uh, you. But it sounds like I'd much rather I'd much rather let somebody else prepare, do the work, because I make pancakes. Home all the time. We have a little griddle. It's easy to cook the pancakes. The pains like mixing up the batter and all that. You know, it's not that hard. But, it's not that hard. But no. it's, it's enough of a barrier that we don't do it every day because, you know, it takes 15 minutes to get it all going.
2: Right. It sounds silly, right? Why would you go to a restaurant to cook pancakes? Right. Right. You can certainly do it at home. First of all, they, they clean the griddle for
1: you, It's is really <laughs> That's nice. Also excellent. Yeah, not, not <laughs> a
2: you don't have to clean the griddle. I'm telling you, all those toppings are great. And it's it's really cheap. <laughs> it's, 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 I'm putting it up there with one of my – it certainly was, I would say, my best breakfast of
1: 2016. Really well. Really. So uh, the, the old Spanish, uh, old Spanish sugar mill. Old
2: Spanish sugar mill uh-huh. in a town in Florida that I'm not quite sure it's, how to pronounce.
1: I, I did look up on the map. <laughs> We're talking about it. It's, it looks like about 20, 30 miles west from uh, Daytona Beach, a little bit north of Orlando, sort Correct. of up there in in the lake country, um, in in a part of a rapidly fading part of Florida. Um, my son, who's now in, in, in high school, but when he turned, I think it was either 10 or 11, he was huge into Legos. So we surprised him with a trip to Legoland in Florida, which had just opened. Like We didn't get there for opening day, but we were there within the first two or three weeks of, of Legoland in Florida being being open, which was a you know a, a blast and all that. And I really hadn't looked up that much about Legoland. My wife has done all the, all the planning. we got there and i realized later i'd actually been there before it was the old cypress gardens oh really that was this oh. one of these lost <gasps> parks Uh, that long lost, and they still had a few of the elements. They had one of the old wooden roller coasters that was there, though I think that was not part of Cypress Gardens. I think they actually bought that from a different amusement park and brought it over, but they still had the water skiing show. They still had the lake, and that's the part I remember from being a kid and going there because I I had traveled. I was really young, five, six, so I barely, barely remember it, but... They're doing the jumps and they're doing the uh, the pyramids with the guys in the bottom and the women in the skimpy outfits and gold and sparkles on top. Yeah, that's. And uh, old Florida lives if you just know where to, where to look for.
2: Yeah, around Orlando, I'd say. All right. And that is all for this edition of The Winnow. We recorded today's episode in the Mongolian Barbecue and Podcasting Studios of the Post and Courier Building in downtown Charleston. You, know, you
1: do have a business opportunity in front of you here if, <laughs> uh, if there are, you know, the first Charleston Mongolian Barbecue, Midwest style.
2: I hear restaurants are big in Charles, I, but I, I need to get in on that. Yeah,
1: you really should. I, I know a conference you could go to.
2: <laughs> if you like what you're hearing, please help other listeners find The Winnow, too. Just go to iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you download The Winnow and, leave, and like us or leave a rating. The Winnow is a production of The Post and Courier and Palmetto New Media. Our producer today was the always high-tech J.M. Marie Parker. Our theme music is by the Bluestone Ramblers.
1: Until next time, I'm Robert Moss.
2: I'm Hannah Raskin.
1: And now get out there and eat.